Good morning. In today's headlines, the bipartisan debt limit bill passes in the House with overwhelming support, but will it have the same success in the Senate? Over a billion dollars of taxpayer money was sent to various Chinese and Russian entities over the past five years. We bring you the details on that. Staying with money, what happens to election campaign funds that were raised but never spent? We take a closer look. And a couple springs into action to save an injured animal. What happened after that will warm your heart. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Thursday, June 1st. Yes, and we're starting off today with some serious news out of the Midwest. Yes, uh, the latest in a string of challenges to communities that have rail lines going through them. Seems these railway operators just are struggling to keep their trains on the tracks. One could argue that a train carrying hazard hazardous materials derailed in northwestern Minnesota yesterday. Thankfully, there were no immediate signs of leaks, but the accident forced a highway closure. The Canadian Pacific train consisted of 25 cars. Some tank cars were carrying an unspecified flammable liquid. It derailed in the town of Lancaster on its way to Canada. No leaks or injuries were reported, but precautionary measures were being taken in case leaks did happen. The derailment follows another Canadian Pacific freight train incident a day prior. That train was also transporting hazardous materials. It went off the tracks near Balfour, North Dakota, and no spills nor injuries were reported. Let's hope it stays that way. Yes, and please remember to be careful near the train tracks. Next, let's look at developments on Capitol Hill. The House of Representatives passed the bipartisan debt limit deal yesterday. The Fiscal Responsibility Act put together by House Speaker McCarthy and President Biden overwhelmingly cleared the lower chamber. The vote was 314 to 117. That's right. More Democrats voted for the bill than Republicans. 165 Democrats voted in favor of it. Republicans had 149 votes in support. The package now heads to the Senate. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer plans to start the debt ceiling bill process today. June 5th is the deadline for default. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on what could be the final chapter in the debt limit drama. The debt limit bill could take several days to travel through the Senate, depending on senators' positions on the matter. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy expressed optimism after the bill's swift passage in the House on Wednesday. I thought it'd be almost impossible just to get to 218. Now I found there's a whole new day here. We've woken them up. Maybe they listen to our speeches. I don't know. The Republican leader told fellow lawmakers it was a crucial first step for putting America back on track. We can't keep doing the same thing to solve the problem. We have to think differently. And we can't do it with just one party. We are all in this together. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell praised McCarthy for capturing a number of priorities in the bill and expressed his support for it as it moves to the upper chamber. Most of my members who have objections would like to do more of the things that are already in the bill. Democratic Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer also spoke in support of the legislation on Wednesday. I hope we can move the bill quickly here in the Senate and bring it to the president's desk as soon as possible. But not every senator shares that optimism. Senator Lindsey Graham says the defense spending falls far short and that it's welcome news to China. He's vowed to initiate amendment votes. Senator Mike Lee says he'll use every procedural tool at his disposal to impede it. 
and Senator Bernie Sanders tweeted he will oppose it and called for President Biden to eliminate the debt ceiling by invoking the 14th Amendment. Amendment votes to reshape the package could delay it past the June 5th deadline for default. Biden is urging the Senate to pass the bill as quickly as possible to prevent that. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Now, there has been some talk of disgruntled House Republicans starting a motion to vacate McCarthy from his House Speaker role. Congressman Ken Buck said after the vote, a discussion about that will start in the next week or two. McCarthy shrugged off the possibility, saying that's up to them. And now, some headlines from around the world. Project Veritas has sued its founder, James O'Keefe, following his ouster from the journalism group. The lawsuit says O'Keefe breached his contract by starting a rival group while still employed by the company. The suit also says O'Keefe made false claims he'd been fired while he was actually still employed, though suspended. Amazon has agreed to a settlement of nearly $6 million with the Federal Trade Commission over privacy violations. A recent court filing revealed allegations against a former Amazon employee. It accuses the worker of using ring doorbell cameras in bedrooms and bathrooms to spy on female customers in 2017. And yet another privacy breach, this time on an Android phone app. Researchers at ESET Security say the iRecorder app recorded audio without user permission. It reportedly began after an update nearly a year after the app's launch. The update also included malicious code. The app had tens of thousands of downloads by the time the issue was reported. It has since been removed from the Play Store. From privacy to safety, the Biden administration proposed a new rule yesterday. It would require nearly all passenger vehicles and light trucks to have automatic emergency brakes. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration says the proposed rule would dramatically reduce the number of crashes. It estimates nearly 400 lives could be saved each year and over 20,000 injuries could be avoided. This proposed rulemaking is urgently needed, and I know there are a lot of experts in the room who know this, as we're seeing a real epidemic of roadway fatalities on U.S. roads, over 40,000 deaths a year. We're uh, proposing to require that these systems be much more effective at much higher speeds. We're also including what we call full collision avoidance. That means that a vehicle has to stop without touching another vehicle in front of it. With this proposal, we could change a high-speed crash from a deadly one to a lower-speed crash with minor injuries or just property damage. This goes way above the voluntary AEB commitment and sets a significant safety milestone. The safety agency's chief counsel says the majority of new passenger vehicles already include the emergency braking technology. But the aim is to increase the braking system's effectiveness at higher speeds and in avoiding pedestrians. Ever wondered what happens to all the campaign money raised that isn't spent when the candidate drops out early, for example? I spoke to Dan McMillan, the executive director of Save Democracy in America, to find out what options candidates have. Well, if, if the candidate has no future plans to run for office, uh, some of them give, give their funds back to their donors, or at least to the big donors. Uh, they can give them to charities. Um, more often, if they, have any, if they think that they have a future political career, they save it and they can convert it into campaign funds for any other campaign they run. I mean, for example, Bernie Sanders has transferred money from his senatorial uh, campaigns to his 
presidential campaigns and then back. Uh, candidates are always free to do that. As far as money that's directly in the campaign account that was donated to candidates, the one thing is they're not allowed to use it for personal use. Uh, you know, for for uh, you know anything that they might buy for themselves or travel. But there is an exception. There's something called a leadership pack that they can transfer the money to. And the rules governing leadership packs are very lax. Um, so is that something that's commonly um, uh, you being used, this kind of strategy? And is there uh, the possibility then to use it for personal, for, use the money for personal uh, use? That's, that's very common. It gets done all the time. I mean, mostly by members of Congress. I haven't heard much about leadership packs as an option for presidential candidates, but I mean, you constantly, I mean, I, I think just, you know, for example, the latest round of retirements from Congress, from House and Senate, all of these candidates had something like $53 million of unused campaign funds between them. And they can either give it some of the, they can give unlimited amounts to the party committees uh, of their party at the state or local level. And they can use that, in other words, to enhance their influence. And again, Anything they can do to enhance their political influence upon leaving office increases their chances of getting a high-paid lobbying job and makes them more effective as a lobbyist. So I and see. Well, if that's the case, then is it some is this an issue that is uh, being recognized and is something being done about this? Maybe through regulation or something well, else. Well, there there are people who work in nonprofit organizations that are advocating for reform. But no, absolutely nothing's being done about it. And in fact, even the Federal Election Commission, which is supposedly the body that regulates campaign finance, but in fact uh, has been toothless for many, many years now, they even, uh, by majority vote earlier this, I think it was this year, uh, basically issued a ruling that they're not even really gonna enforce the prohibition on using leadership pack funds for personal use, like for for expensive vacations. Uh, none of them really can afford to lead on the issue of money in politics because they have to raise so much money. Um, they're too dependent on their donors. I mean, put it this way, you can't go out on the campaign trail and tell the voters that big money in politics is evil. And then the next day call up your evil donors to ask them for more of their evil money. So realistically, leadership on this issue is not gonna come from within the political system. It has to come from outside the political system, uh, from people like me and my organization. There's, um, I don't wanna hijack our interview to talk about my effort, but briefly I lead a nonpartisan effort to promote the so-called democracy dollars reform, which seems pretty clearly the best way to to, to break the stranglehold of money over politics. Thank you so much, Dan McMillan. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me, Evelyn. Anytime. And while we're on the topic of campaigns, former Republican Vice President Mike Pence is expected to announce his bid to enter the 2024 presidential race next week. He's set to be launching his campaign with a video and speech in the early nominating state of Iowa. And coming up, Chinese state-backed intimidation of dissidents and others overseas. That's the focus of a trial of three men in New York City, one a former police officer. 
and NASA held an open meeting on unidentified flying objects. The Department of Defense says there are hundreds of cases. Find out what is blocking the investigation after the break. Welcome back to NTD. We're going to be talking about your taxpayer money. Over a billion dollars sent to Chinese and Russian entities for various research programs over the past five years. Senator Joni Ernst just released an analysis on how the U.S. government spends taxpayer money. Here are the details. Senator Joni Ernst released an analysis with the help of the Congressional Research Service and Watchdog Group Open the Books on Wednesday. It found that over the past five years ending in 2021, the U.S. gave Chinese and Russian entities over $1.3 billion in taxpayer money for a range of research programs. Chinese organizations received over $490 million, while Russian organizations got over $870 million. Ernst said that this is 10 times more than the estimates by the Government Accountability Office. Some of the grants worth noting include $2 million to China's Wuhan Institute of Virology for bat coronavirus research. Part of it came from the U.S. Agency for International Development and part from the National Institutes of Health. The Pentagon awarded $6 million in funding to Chinese tech company Beijing Zhuhua Trading. The firm created deployment and distribution command software for the U.S. military. The Department of Agriculture sent Chinese food producers $1.6 million through the National School Lunch Program. A nearly $100,000 grant from the State Department went to a Chinese cultural group to promote gender equality. And the Department of Health and Human Services sent $770,000 to a Russian state-run lab for cat experiments. Senator Ernst said in a statement, It is gravely concerning that no one in Washington can actually account for millions sent to Russia and China for pointless projects. A former New York City police sergeant and two Chinese men faced juries yesterday. They're accused of acting as illegal agents of China. Entity's Daniel Monaghan has more on the case. The trial is part of an escalating crackdown on what officials call Chinese state-backed intimidation of dissidents and fugitives overseas. Federal prosecutors in Brooklyn say Michael McMahon, Zheng Tsong Ying, and Zhu Yang pressured a former Chinese city official, his wife, and their daughter. They hounded the New Jersey resident to go back to his homeland, where the government alleges he took bribes. Prosecutors say they even flew in the man's father, who was in his 80s, to warn him that relatives would suffer if he didn't come home. They say the intimidation is part of a global repatriation campaign by Chinese law enforcement known as Operation Fox Hunt. They say Zhang even tried to break into the man's home in 2018 and left a handwritten note on the front door reading in Chinese, if you are willing to go back to the mainland and spend 10 years in prison, your wife and children will be all right. All three men have pleaded not guilty and say they weren't aware they were doing Beijing's bidding. Federal prosecutors have brought several similar cases recently. In one case, two New York City men are accused of operating a secret Chinese police station in Manhattan's Chinatown neighborhood. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. A reporter on Wednesday demanded answers from the White House. The question was why the Biden administration has repeatedly refrained from calling the governments of Russia and China evil regimes. The reporter cited President Ronald Reagan, who had described the Soviet regime as the locus of evil in the world. 
He then asked why President Biden hasn't considered labeling governments that are running concentration camps or launching unprovoked wars as evil regimes. National Security Council Coordinator John Kirby responded. President Biden just doesn't conduct foreign policy that way. I think, go look at the national security strategy, go look at the national defense strategy, take a look at anything that the president has said over uh, his time as commander in chief about Russia and China, and you'll, and you'll see that we are speaking pretty plainly to the American people and to those countries and those leaders. Kirby added that the White House wants open lines of communication with Beijing to avoid misunderstandings. President Biden said he expects a thaw in relations with China in the short term. That was during a news conference in Japan last month. The Biden administration has announced the latest military aid package to Ukraine. It's worth $300 million and covers mostly ammunition. The package includes additional munitions for Patriot air defense systems and HIMARS rocket launchers. The funding will also cover Zuni aircraft rockets, anti-armor systems, tank ammunition, and drone munitions. This is the Biden administration's 39th drawdown of equipment from the Pentagon inventories for Ukraine since August 2021. The Pentagon says the U.S. will continue to help Ukraine meet its needs on the battlefield. However, the Biden administration says it has made clear to Ukraine that U.S.-made weapons should not be used for attacks inside Russian territory. To a very different topic, do aliens exist? That's what we're trying to find out. Yesterday, NASA held a public meeting on Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena, or UAPs. Yeah, and those are previously known as UFOs, but the term changed because people had a hard time taking UFOs seriously. UAPs don't have the same ring to them, though. I know, yeah, I prefer the old term. But anyway, NASA has discovered evidence that aliens exist. Is this true? NTD's Colin Fredrickson has more. The Department of Defense has reported over 800 cases of unidentified anomalous phenomena, or UAPs. UAPs typically take a spherical form, and they're usually spotted around the U.S., in the Persian Gulf, and off the coast of China. We see these in, in making very interesting apparent maneuvers. This one in particular, however, I would point out, demonstrated no enigmatic technical capabilities and was no threat to airborne safety. While we are still looking at it, I don't have any more data other than that. Sean Kirkpatrick is in charge of investigating these unidentified objects. He says that we have way too little data, which means we can't come to defensible conclusions on what these objects are. But he says he's working hard to figure it out. There are three dots moving back and forth. The moving back and forth is from the sensor and the platform that's collecting it. This is a, a P-3 on a training mission in the western United States. They picked these up and they tried to intercept and was unable to intercept them. Even though the government can't prove that these UAPs are connected to aliens, it hasn't ruled this out. The scientific community has a widespread belief that alien civilizations do exist. But despite this belief, there's still a heavy stigma attached to researching these unidentified objects. This stigma is one of the key obstacles to NASA's research, and it was a key theme during the open meeting. Another challenge in this area is what we call stigma. 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 The stigma exists inside um, the leadership of all of our, our buildings. The stigma makes people reluctant to report UAP sightings, and so the government can't get enough data to work with. 
It's also caused the team researching this phenomena to receive a lot of online harassment. Meanwhile, the Department of Defense is sending its annual report on UAPs to Congress on the 1st of August. The report will contain all the details of the DOD's latest findings. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. When you think of space, you may think of NASA or maybe the military. But now the State Department is getting involved. The department released a statement Tuesday that outlines a strategy for space diplomacy. The 25-page document calls for building international partnerships and a rules-based international order for outer space. It comes as more countries are entering space and low Earth orbit is becoming increasingly congested. That's where satellites necessary for communication generally fly. China is also making big strides in space. Monday, Beijing announced plans to put people on the moon by 2030. China also sent three more astronauts to its Tiangong space station Tuesday. The State Department's document did not detail how it planned to meet its stated goals or how it would get other countries to cooperate. Coming up, a couple in Slovenia springs into action to save an injured animal. What happens after that will warm your heart. And a man in the UK has made his, his mission to embark on an unusual quest, helping to rescue stranded ducklings from a rooftop. More after the break. Welcome back. If you love something, set it free, as the saying goes. In our next segment, you'll meet a European couple who did just that and gained a new family member. Janja and Alish live near the coast of Slovenia. In May 2020, the two animal lovers were called with an unusual request. My friend Susanna called me and she told me that she found a baby bird lying on the floor while she was... Um, walking around with her baby, like... Yeah, basically everyone knows that we are big animal lovers. The couple sprang into action and attempted to rescue the baby sparrow. Not knowing how to take care of the bird, the couple did some research and even called a professional. And he told us that we should feed her with soft cat food. And this is what we did at first. <laughs> uh, yeah, we also mixed some banana and tofu. She ate like crazy. Uh, she was opening her beak so wide. We, we didn't know if it's good like that she eats such big chunks of food, but uh, she was fine and she started to grow. Yeah, she was like a little alien. Everything she did was so unnatural to us. They built a makeshift incubator from a small cardboard box filled with soft blankets and wrapped heating wire around it. And the plan was simple. The plan was just to, to feed her and release her. That was the plan. Since they live in a high-rise apartment, they began scouting for a safe spot and settled on a friend's garden. The sparrow flew up into a tree, but then something magical happened. She came right back to them. They tried again the next day and the day after that, but again with the same results. The pair then decided that Chibi, as they named her, was there to stay. And that was it. Like, <laughs> since then, she's part of our family and uh, we try to give her all the love and attention and freedom she needs. Yeah, because um, 
She likes to be around us even when she's not hungry. Like she likes to sit or sleep on our laps. Chibi is free to go whenever she pleases. The couple take her on walks regularly and she flies out their apartment window, always returning. She goes uh, and like when people open their windows, uh, she goes to say hi. She's yeah, she flies up to the third, fourth, or fifth floor um, and say hi to people who open their windows. Chibi even responds to her name. Yeah, and when we go out and there are like tons of other birds in the trees and I call Chibi and she responds. She chirps back. Chibi is now three years old. The happy little bird lives without limits in their home, flying freely, singing, sleeping on ceiling lights and window ledges. She even dive bombs the couple's bed in the morning for cuddles. All right, over to the UK now, where a family of ducks was rescued from a rooftop on Monday. Video shows the newly hatched ducklings and mom stranded on the rooftop of a commercial building in England's city of Manchester. A local resident then began the rescue using a bucket and rope to lower the ducklings to safety. Okay, babies, okay, okay, okay. All right, so we've got seven lovely ducklings in here. With mom following behind, the man took the ducklings to the quayside to release them. After some hesitation, the lucky seven soon joined their mother in the water, and the rescue mission was complete. All right, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you. Write us at goodmorning at ntd.com. That's it for today. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.